Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... They have product, you give them money, right? It's a trade. At work, it's the same, right? They have money, and you give them work, and then they they give you money. And he's saying, don't forget these things. Don't forget them. Now, some of you are already like, I am not submitting to my boss. You're ruining my Monday. Well, remember verse 1, when you're given a job, let your wise face shine (laughs) and do your job with joy without grumbling. Wisdom is a valuable commodity in the kingdom of God. According to the writer of Ecclesiastes, the presence of wisdom in a man can be perceived, even changing the appearance of his face. In our time with Pastor Jim, we'll consider how wisdom can be applied to improve every area of our lives, particularly in the area of work. As Christians, we should submit to those in authority. And when we make our vow or take a job, we should serve as unto the Lord, doing everything to the best of our ability. Now let's open our Bibles and join Pastor Jim for part one of his message entitled, How Will Wisdom Help Me Live? All right, Ecclesiastes 8, 1 again. Who is like a wise man and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A wise man's wisdom makes his face shine and the sternness of his face is changed. Well, our family has a number of traditions And when our kids were younger, we're kind of slacking off in this one a little bit, but one of our fall traditions was we would go uh, pick pumpkins. You ever go pick pumpkins, right? We'd we'd go on a hayride. That was a lot of fun. Uh, We'd go pick apples. That was fun, throwing the rotten ones at one another. But my favorite thing that we did as a family was going into the corn maze. Have you ever been in a corn maze? They take a big field, if you don't know what it is, and they cut out all these different paths, and there's really probably only one way to get out, and it's a series of dead ends and wrong turns, etc. And it was really fun going in that, and I had a lot of fun watching people, and you know, some were just sort of, well, you know, this is for the kids, we're biding our time, and we're, you know, whatever we have to do, not that thrilled about it. But some people were really intense about it. Like some people actually had a strategy for walking through the corn maze. It's funny when you see groups of people and you see like, you know, they're like, we should go that way and other people that way. And they're like, no, we're going this way. We know better. We're smarter than you. And so they have this strategy. So the groups break up, almost like they think they're in the army or something like that. And we're going to divide and we're going to conquer. Some people get frustrated. They're like, oh, man, another dead end. What's the point? Other times, some people look afraid. Maybe it's claustrophobia. I don't, I don't really understand that. I don't, it's not a thing for me. So I, I'm the guy who goes in the MRI and falls asleep. And so, and so they're, they're, you're like, what did you go into an MRI for? Okay, I'll just say it. I, I have headaches, so twice I've had to have an MRI on my brain. Both times, not surprisingly, the diagnosis was there's nothing there. So I was very thankful for that. And so... <laughs> Some of you are like, what does that mean? <laughs> okay. And so brain, MRI, nothing. Okay. And um, 
For some, though, the corn maze might be the only time in someone's life where they actually find and have fun going down a dead end. Because a lot of times in our lives when we're working for something or we're trying to do something, we go down a dead end. It's very frustrating, isn't it? You're like, man, what's the, what's the point? But, but in a corn maze, you walk down a dead end and you usually just smile and, and try again until you hit the next dead end and then you try again. I think my favorite part about the corn maze is walking down to the dead end, coming back, and watching people walking down convinced they know it's the right way. Now, some of you people are nice, and you probably say, oh, it's the wrong way. Not me. I let them go, right? I'm like, okay, you're going to have to learn. They insist they're right. I remember one time we were in a corn maze, and it was getting dark. And there was a note of... uh, concern, like figuring, you know, monsters coming out of the corn maze in the middle of the night or something like that. And all of a sudden, this guy came and he worked at the corn maze completely calm and just walking by everybody going, corn maze is closing, follow me. And just casually walking everybody out because he knew the way out. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like life is like a corn maze. It just seems really random, but the dead ends often are no laughing matter. The dead ends of life when you've worked on something really hard or, or you fought for something really hard or someone you know had an illness and, and they just came to the end. It's, it's serious. I always wished that when I was in a corn maze that I could see it from above. I was out one time, one out by Chester, and they had this sort of observation tower, and I went up to the top of the tower, and I could see where they cut the paths out, but I was not high enough to be able to see where I could say, no, this is the way you get out. And, and sometimes you wish that you could get up above your circumstances, right, and get a clear view and a clear vision and really see clearly what's, what's going on. I mean, most of us know that, that wisdom in situations, that wise choices will take us down better paths. But sometimes, the better paths don't turn out good, do they? Sometimes we do everything right and everything turns out wrong. King Solomon here in Ecclesiastes is presumably speaking to a group of young men. And specifically, probably guys that will be young leaders in the kingdom, in the government, and like he did in much of the Proverbs, he's trying to teach them that it's, you just can't walk through life without thinking about things. He's, he's telling them that it takes wisdom to walk through the maze of life. And in our studies in Ecclesiastes, because we have a lot of questions, and the writer of Ecclesiastes, whether it's King Solomon or an autobiographer, has a lot of questions. And so our sermon titles have been questions. And today's question is, how will wisdom help me live? How will wisdom help me live? If you're taking notes, there's three things, three things. Number one, wisdom will help you live in the world. Wisdom will help you live in the world. Verse one, he says, who is like a wise man? Now, the expected answers were supposed to go, well, no one. No one really. And who knows the interpretation of a thing. We're probably supposed to go, well, no one, especially if these guys work in the government. Most of us think right now, where's the wisdom 
of the government. I mean, if you want to run for president and do well in the opinion polls, just say they're a bunch of idiots, right? <laughs> You'll do well. Seems to be the way it's going now. Now, you think, well, maybe someone who knows the interpretation might be the wise man. The wise man, the wise woman might be the exception. For your homework, you might want to read in the book of Genesis about Joseph. He's an exception. You might want to read about Daniel in the book of Daniel. And then the Bible writer tells us what wisdom looks like. He says, a man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. So as we've been saying, here we have the richest man on earth, the wisest man on earth, trying to find out the meaning of life. He uses the term under the sun. He's trying to look at life uh, through experience, a lot of that in the beginning of the book, going after pleasure and money and business and all these different types of things, entertainment. He's trying to figure out the meaning of life. He's tried through experience, and he's also been trying through keen observation. And he says something interesting here to his guys that are listening to him. He says, you know, wisdom is actually something that will give you a spiritual facelift. That going through life and applying wisdom will actually physically change the way you look. That wisdom will actually put a smile on your face. A lot of times we know what that's like, right? Maybe we, we see a friend that we grew up with or we graduated from school with and, and we see them and, and they look so much older than others did because life has just really been difficult for them. So why would wisdom change your face? Well, because you begin to look at life differently you begin to see the world through God's eyes, and you begin to trust Him more. Such a huge theme in the Bible that we would trust Him. Biblical wisdom brings an inner transformation. It brings a peace. It brings a, a joy as the Word of God changes you from the inside out. And that's been the experience for many of you. And, and it's amazing for many of us in our church, we know what it's like to have God's wisdom change us, especially if you were big into the party life. You go out all night, go out drinking, and then that stops. And then you, your friends see you a few years later, and they're like, you look great, something's different. You, you look so much better. And you're like, yeah, because I go to sleep now. <laughs> I... I, I I'm not on this mission to just destroy my life anymore. And the Bible makes the case that it, the Bible, contains true wisdom. As a matter of fact, James chapter 1 says that if you lack wisdom, just ask, and it'll be given to you. Boy, that's a case for a daily prayer, right? To every day say, God, give me wisdom for today. Give me wisdom for, for my decisions. Give me wisdom in the path I take. Well, so not only will wisdom help you look better, you won't be worrying so much. Worry's not good, is it? Not only will wisdom help you look better, but it'll also help you work better. Look at verse 2. I say, keep the king's commandment. Now, some of the husbands are going, all right, here we go. <laughs> I'm the king of my castle. But uh, remember, these guys are, you know, in the king's court. 
Solomon won't always be the king, so he's telling them, listen, not all of you are going to be king when I'm gone, so only one's going to be king, so you're going to have to realize that the rest of you are going to have to, if the country's going to work, you're going to have to follow along with the king. So we might not have a king, but, but most of us have a boss, right? We have a boss. Some, even those of you who own your own business, you have a boss, and you know who it is. It's your customers. They tell you what to do. If you don't do it, they take their business elsewhere. They're your boss, right? Uh, most of us serve under leaders. If you're in sales, maybe you have clients, right? And, and you, you have to do what the clients say. Uh, what about if you're married, right? I know a lot of guys are like, ah, oh, woman, submit to me, right? I always think there's two words I will not say in heaven. My woman. I tell that to Pam all the time. Won't be able to say that in heaven, right? But, but, but the Bible says that we're supposed to submit to one another. Right? So, so husbands are to submit to their wives, wives to submit to their husbands. And so he says, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. You told God you would do it, he says. Some versions say before, that you made before God. Verse 3 says, do not be hasty. Some versions say, don't be in a hurry to go from his presence. Who? The king's presence, the boss's presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing. Another version says, do not persist in a bad cause, for he does whatever pleases him. Now, this is an earthly king, right? Don't get in a knot, he's telling them, because if you want to fight against the king, good luck with that one. He's going to do what he wants to do. Verse 4, where the word of a king is, there is power. Another version adds, there is authoritative power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? And we're supposed to go, no one. Verse 5, he who keeps his command, or we might say does what he's told, is loyal to the king, will experience nothing harmful. Now in the ancient world, uh, really, you, you literally got to keep your head if you obeyed the king. You didn't obey the king, well, that you were in trouble. Now, we might say you keep your job, right? If you do your job, the best way to, to keep your job is to actually do your job. He says, and a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Another version says, a wise man's heart knows the time and the way. It literally means that a wise man or a wise woman, he's talking to guys, he means that you understand the standard of behavior or the procedure, You'll figure it out, what the king wants, what the boss wants, what the leader wants, what needs to be done. Now, this is one of those funny things about the Bible. Really, really funny. Remember, we often say that the Bible is in so many ways completely the opposite of what humanity is, or perhaps better stated, that humanity is in so many ways opposite what the, the Bible is. Have you noticed... And you might have even felt it a little when we went through those verses. Have you noticed that we tend to be just a little rebellious? Have you noticed that? Of course. Okay, let me, let me put it to you this way. You're spiritual people. You come to church in August. All right. Um, have you noticed that other people are rebellious? Oh, now I get it. I get an amen there. Right, okay. So that, that we notice. That we, we are willing to concede. And... Whenever anybody in our culture talks about authority, it rubs people the wrong way. We just can't stand that word. Even authority to God. 
People don't even want to have any kind of accountability to be under the authority of God. Interesting, uh, our culture, again, very different than the Bible. Our culture, one of the things people talk a lot about is self-esteem. I would say that the Bible talks about a proper self-image, knowing who you are in Jesus Christ. Because when people start to go down the self-esteem route, one of the things that we're often saying to each other is that uh, the problem with the world is people think too little of themselves. Bible comes along and says, no, the problem with the world is we all think too much of ourselves. <laughs> That's the problem. So it's interesting here, King Solomon says, don't forget the vow you made to the king. What is he saying? When I'm gone, maybe even now, but when I'm gone, he's saying, don't forget, you're going to make a vow to the next king. Don't forget it. We make vows all the time, right? If you're married, you made a vow. You made a vow. You know, people come for marriage counseling. I'm tipping my hat to the first session. Here we go. You ready? And, and people come in and they, and they say, uh, you know, I say, you know, well, tell me what the problem is. And they go on and on how it's their spouse's problem. And then I always say, well, let's go through your marriage vows. Yes. Did you have mouth? Yes. Okay, so you promised to have and hold in sickness and health, good times and bed, provided my spouse does everything I want all the time. No, that's not how it went. When we vow to get married, we don't vow to get, we vow to give. We're about to give. He's saying, don't forget your vow. What about on your job? You don't really make a vow on your job, although you might sign a contract, right? But see, I think a lot of times when we think about jobs, we think about in terms of what we're going to get, what they're offering me. But your employer has a right to think about what you offer them, (laughs) what you're going to do for them. It sort of works like this. When you go to the store, right? They have product, you give them money. Right? It's a trade. At work, it's the same. Right? They have money, and you give them work. And then they, they give you money. And he's saying, don't forget these things. Don't forget them. Now, some of you are already like, I am not submitting to my boss. You're ruining my Monday. Well, remember verse 1. When you're given a job, let your wise face shine. <laughs> and do your job with joy and without grumbling. Some verses we read a few weeks ago, I want to read again. Ephesians chapter 6 says this. thousand years later, the Apostle Paul writes, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, bond servants, we might say workers, bond servants are willing servants, be obedient to those who are your masters. Well, we might say your bosses. According to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Then he says, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Now, if you ask people if God is in control, well, what do they say? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm Christian. Yes. Okay, what about, is he in control of the boss that he gave you? Oh, Pastor Jim, man, you're really ruining my Sunday here. What's the deal with that? But if we say that God is in control, we know that he is in control, right, of everything in our lives. So he's actually in control of our boss. You might want to grab the seatbelts on the side. (laughs) So rebellion to our boss is rebellion to God. Ask any of our teenagers how fun it is at youth group when I tell them that rebellion to your parents is rebellion to God. 
They're like, can't we play a game now? (laughs) If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not, glad you're here. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you made an oath to the king who saved you. You made an oath to obey him, including the authority that he put in your life. Now, the Bible doesn't except for Jesus, doesn't make, come to any notion or make any claims that the authority God puts in our lives is perfect. I think he tells us there when he says, for he does whatever pleases him. Like, you're going to make some bad decisions. But here God's telling us that we have to acknowledge that he's king because God said he would be king. Verse 3, again, he says, do not be hasty to go from his presence. What's he saying? Don't be disrespectful. Don't turn your back on your boss. Don't turn your back on your parents. Don't turn your back on people that you're dealing with that God has put in your life. Why? Because you might just find yourself turning your back on God. You might just find yourself being disrespectful to him. So let's get practical for a second on your job. Can you have suggestions? Well, I have to put a little asterisk on that. If you want to get fired quick, just come in the first day and tell everybody how to run the place. Even if you were hired to run the place, come in, get a lay of the land, find out who the power brokers are. You know, G.K. Chesterton said, don't pull down a fence till you know why it was put up, right? Figure out what's going on. And after you've been there a while, sure, you can have suggestions. When you've been asked, of course, you can have suggestions. But be careful that your suggestions are just not things that are creating work for others to do. You got to have wisdom about such things. King Solomon here is saying, but when it comes to the king, that's when you got to be really careful. So what if your suggestion doesn't go over well? Again, in verse three, he says, don't take your stand for an evil thing. Don't go storming out of the office, digging your feet in the sand, telling everybody else what the boss should be doing, gossiping. Now, in their day and age, Solomon would be saying, be wise and you'll probably keep your head. In our day and age, be wise and you'll probably keep your job. Be wise and you'll keep your position. A Bible scholar, Derek Kidner, said this, There are times when wisdom has to fold its wings and take the form of discretion, content to keep its possessors out of trouble. Often, wisdom is doing nothing. Often, wisdom is saying nothing. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 10, 16. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So what's the best defense against the wolves? Jesus just told us. Be wise. Be wise. Wisdom will help you live in the world. Number two, wisdom will help you live with what you don't know. Do you know what you don't know? No, you don't know, because you don't know it. Verse 6, because for every matter there is a time and judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly. Now, this is interesting. God knows what's going on, right? But we don't. Now, there's all kinds of people walking around in churches today. I get it, you know, like everything's going wrong. Everything. I mean, everything is going wrong in their life. And they're like, well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm just, you know, having a good time. And, and the Bible writers are not like that. Read the Psalms, they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> but here, he's willing to say, listen, um, not knowing weighs us down. Not knowing is hard. It's not easy. 
I would make the case that a lot of times not knowing God is you know, helping us to trust him more. But that doesn't, it doesn't always seem that logical. You're not like, everything's going wrong and you're not like, you're not talking on the phone on your cell phone, which you're not supposed to be doing when you're driving, but you're not talking on your cell phone or, and, and having an argument with someone and then you bang into somebody's rear end and then the policeman comes over, are you okay? And you go, well, the Lord is just teaching me to trust him. That's not the way it works, right? That's it for today with pastor and Bible teacher Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. We hope and pray that Pastor Jim's simple and passionate verse-by-verse, line-by-line teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes is bringing growth to your Christian faith. Now that you have heard from us, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know how we can pray for you, answer any questions that you may have, and let us know how Changed by Love has helped you. Perhaps you want someone to explain to you how to have your sins forgiven, how you can go to heaven, and how you can get started or restarted in your faith. Maybe you're looking for a good Bible teaching church in your area, or maybe you just need someone to talk to. Remember, friends, we are here to serve you and to help you so that someday the Lord will use you to serve and help others. That's the way the kingdom of God works, and we're thrilled to participate with you in the adventure. There are many ways to connect with Pastor Jim and the team here at Changed by Love. All of our contact information is available on our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. Once again, that's www.changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you would like to bless us and write us a card or a letter. Our mailing address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Please join us next time on this same station. Until then, stay close to Jesus, and we know that you too will be changed by His love.